Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. How are you? I'm good. good, You've just shown me all the paint patches in your hallway trying to trying to focus or trying to figure out a colour that you're gonna go with, and I think that's quite tough. Yeah, I don't I can't do colours. I can't I can't pick it. I don't know for a hallway. Just don't know. but But it's hard for a little patch. You've got lots of little patches. But when the whole thing is in in one of those colours and you suddenly hate it, what do you do? Yeah. Start again or cry. Oh, I'd cry. I couldn't start again. <laughs> I think crying is. <laughs> I think crying is a better option. <laughs> yeah, maybe it'd be less effort anyway. Yes, no. I'm just uh, currently updating my uh, my hallway. Um, but yes, you've been busy. Um, launch a new channel. Yes, Sky Sports Tennis. So in the in the UK and Ireland, um, Sky Sports now has the rights to the both the tours and the US Open. And we launched in Doha and, it, and it's got its own channel. So you've got, so you say you've got Sky Sports Golf, Sky Sports F, well, we've got Sky Sports Tennis. And I have a sticker on my laptop that says Sky Sports Tennis. Um, I know it's very exciting. Uh, we launched in Doha at the, the WTA 1000. So the first 1000, the calendar year. It's, it's really exciting. It's, it, you know what? It was really exciting to be there and to tell the players what we're doing. So yeah. Victoria Azarenka had actually heard about it and she said, it's so good. All the matches are going to be in one place. Emma Raducanu was, timing-wise, it was just perfect. We went on air and, and she's there. And she talked about hearing about it. and it was really, So it was really nice to to tell the players about what we're doing, what's going to happen and to be there. And it's exciting and it's going to be a mix of studio and on-site. And we are going to be working together. We are, yes. I'll be joining the team. Yay. Well, you're, you're the presenter. So you've been, um, yeah, very busy with the beginning. And uh, yes, I'll be joining the commentary team, getting things kicked off in Indian Wells. And who have you got alongside you in the studio? Because this is obviously just UK-based. So if you're in the UK, the rights are now on Sky and you will see Gigi every single day for the rest of the year because tennis never stops. <laughs> oh, feels like that's too much. <laughs> Might be too much. Almost. Almost every single Don't day. Don't worry, everybody. Who, yeah, who, who do you have with you? So I was with Laura Robson and Marion Bartley in Doha which which was really lovely. lovely. And for Indian Wales, where we're going to be working together, going to be with Tim Hemman and Laura. So yes. I think I'm going to be with Tim Tim and Laura. Are going to, we, the, the three of us are going to be quite a regular threesome, if I can use that term, throughout <laughs> throughout the year. And, Sounds and great. Then other people are going to be joining. And as I say, when we're on site, there'll be other people popping in. And, and no, it's, it's, it's really exciting. The team at Sky are amazing. People are so happy that tennis is back because they used to have the tennis. And there's a massive tennis ball as you enter Sky Studios on the floor that says Sky Sports Tennis. So it's no, it's 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 uh it's it's really exciting. It's it's a lovely team and it's great to be up and running. And we're just getting ready now for the kind of the sunshine swing. So we're we're Indian Wells, we're Miami, then we're onto the clay, and then um, so really good. So been really busy with that because after Doha, I was in at the studios doing some voicing around Dubai the second 1000 and you've been work we've been 
what have you been working? What tournaments? We've been working same or different hours. I keep thinking different hours. Um, I think fairly different hours. Well, you've been you've been travelling, of course, because you were on site in in Doha. I've actually had a couple of weeks of rest. I'll be working on San Diego this week, though. Love it. Um, I'll be doing <laughs> the back end of that tournament quarters onwards. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I've just had a, a little bit of a pause, um, and then yeah, off and running with Indian Wells, Miami, and it gets busy to do some DIY. Do you? Okay, so are you going to be happy to leave the DIY and come back to work? Well, as long as I finished it, <laughs> I just need to finish the the task that I'm doing at the moment. I need to finish it and then uh, and have it painted and then I'll be happy to leave it alone for a while and go and work. So has that hallway got to be finished by the time India Wells starts next week? Oh, yes, yes. But you yes. haven't even decided on a colour? No, I haven't decided on a colour. Well, that's just the last <laughs> bit, isn't it? Just painting. Um, no, I haven't decided on a colour. I was hoping to make progress on that today. But, you know... Not so sure. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> I love that. I'm really bad at DIY. Currently, half the lights in our kitchen have gone off. So, and that's where the boys sit and do their homework. So we have to get it done while it's still daylight. So they start like dawdling, you know, they're waiting for it to get dark because they have to start like lighting candles. <laughs> and they're like, mommy, I don't think we can do this now. <laughs> so no, I, I'm really, I'm genuinely rubbish. I'm genuinely rubbish at DIY. So if we need some painting, I might get you around. I'm rubbish as well, off. though, to be honest. I can't contribute much. I just sort of watch a YouTube video and go, how hard can it be? Um, so yeah, <laughs> hopefully it'll work out. I think it's looking reasonable. All right. I mean, I'm not, I'm not expecting it to look professional because obviously people have skills and there's a reason, <laughs> you know, that if you have a skill that you've worked on for years and years, you're going to be able to do something a lot better than I can after watching a YouTube <laughs> video. But you know, hopefully it'll, it will look okay. That's, that's the, the aim. Oh, I love that. Now in terms of tennis, well, I feel like we've missed out on so much because it, there's always something it seems like every day and it never stops. I said the big thing, and this is not just from a British point of view, but a, a global tennis point of view, is Andy Murray. I mean, the, the, the stories, when is he going to retire? We've spoken about this, but it seems we're getting a clearer picture of what his plans for what are going to be likely his final few months as a professional are going to look like. Yeah, I mean, it's not sort of 100% confirmed, but would you agree that it looks like the Olympics might be his final event? Seems to be. Unless there's one part Unless of he wins thinking, it again. With <laughs> Can this, you imagine? And then he decides he's not going to retire and on we go. It, well, uh, of course. There's, there's a little bit of me thinking, mightn't he... US Open. Could he finish at the US Open? Could, there, yeah. There's a little, there's a little bit of me thinking, so I wouldn't be 100% at the Olympics. I... I I don't know, there's a little bit of me thinking possibly, you know, a scene of such great triumph for him mm. that it could be, I know it's not Wimbledon, but it can't be Wimbledon if he wants to go to the Olympic. That's when it begets, a, I imagine in his mind, possibly he was hoping for next year at Wimbledon because it's a cleaner cut. Because if you if you finish at Wimbledon this year, you can't do the Olympics. You can't have your big swan song here if you're about to go there. So it's from, I'm not saying he's planning all this for it to be, a clean and wonderful send-off. But in terms of, you know, next year would have been cleaner, wouldn't it? You do yeah. what you do at the beginning of the year, you finish at Wimbledon. Here, if he does want to go for a fourth Olympics, that's at the end of the summer, which is why I'm thinking that possibly, and, and it's all speculation, that 
it could be at the US Open. Could be. It was his first Grand Slam title. I think yep. it was he won the juniors there as well. So it's going to mean an awful lot to him. He is wildly popular out in the States. Um, American listeners, you can confirm or deny that. But <laughs> I, so I hear. I think he's pretty popular. Um, but yeah, I, it's yeah, it, it's difficult sort of figuring out when to finish. Because also, you know, now that we sort of know the end is nigh, it, it everybody's saying things like they you know, really want him to play well and if he could go on a deep run at Wimbledon or if he could, you know, I mean, a, a, another gold is quite a stretch. He's won two, hey, but, you know, in a, an unbelievably tough era, how he's got his hands <laughs> on two singles gold medals is Brilliant. just absolutely extraordinary. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I mean, you, you want him to do well. But if he does well, he'll keep going. So we doubly want him to do well because surely he's not... The, the reason you think he wants to stop is because he's not winning very much, ultimately. And it's not very fun because winning is fun and losing is not, especially when you're as competitive as Andy Murray. That's just it. It doesn't really matter. Like if you're just losing, you know, quite consistently, which, you know, that has been for a, you know, a fair period of time. He's been losing a lot of matches he feels like he should win. He's been underperforming or he's he felt like he could play better than he has been. But you never know. There's still time between now and then. He might get something going and he might go, well, maybe next year Wimbledon is possible. If I'm playing like this and if I'm actually winning back-to-back matches, then actually I can just keep going to Wimbledon next year. It's probably why he doesn't want to put a, a, a actually say well, what it you, is, you know. You don't know what's going to happen. And he made the point, and I was speaking to him in Doha because he had arrived a few days early for the ATP event that followed the WTA event. And it was, look, I'm getting into these events on my ranking. You know, he's very much, I've I've earned my place here. You know, he was saying, I'm not just accepting wildcards. Everyone will give him wildcards if he wanted them. He said, I'm not just accepting wildcards and turning up. I am here because my ranking allows me to be here. And that's the big thing, isn't it? Is Is keeping, winning the matches to keep the ranking into a position where he is, getting access on his own ranking but as he said he he hasn't been in such a tough place like this before I think the other thing is and recently in Dubai he said when he made the comment about likely to be my last few months I'd like to do a final Roland Garros which would make sense ahead of the Olympics that are being played at Roland Garros obviously Wimbledon but then he said I'm not going to talk about it anymore really hard for those journalists going to interview him because it's the elephant in the room. So I, it, and, and even possibly with Sky, when we see him in Indian Wells, it, it's almost, he doesn't want to talk about it. He's kind of said maybe all he knows about it because he doesn't know exactly when he's going to finish. But if you don't talk about it, people are like, oh, I, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because you've got three minutes mm. with Andy Murray. What are you going to talk about? I know. I mean, I'm totally guessing, but sort of similar to what I was just saying, I think that his approach is if things don't change that's when I'm going to finish, which is why you don't want to say it out loud because things could change. And then you go, oh, actually, I'm playing. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. Um, but I think I think he's, you know, but based on the quotes that we've seen and the interviews that he's done with you and with others, I think, um, yeah, it just seems like he can't continue on as he is for much longer. I mean, it's just soul destroying, isn't it? It's, it's so tough for, for him. It's tough to watch, but, or it has been at times anyway. Um, so I think he's like, look, if, if that's the deal, this, this is not for me. Um, but, you know, physically he seems to be doing okay. So really it's actually just about everything else. And I, he's a sort of person that I think will want to compete as long as he possibly can. And he would love to be competing until he's, you know, 40 years old, if it's, um, on the cards but um 
he would need to be doing better than he is, I think, for it to be enjoyable. That's the that's the difficulty. So, um, but I still I do think it's possible. I do think it's possible, and he wouldn't be the first person to say this is my final year on tour. Have an unbelievable season and then carry on. A very different person, but Elise Corney did that. And I'm not saying she had a phenomenal season, but she was planning on it being her last season. She it suddenly was a great did really season. well. She went the furthest she'd ever been in Grand Slams. She was a, so she decided to keep it going. And Nadal, remember last year at Roland Garros when he pulled out of Roland Garros for the first time he'd ever pulled out and he and then he made comments saying you know I think next year will be my last and then in last December when obviously rehab was going a bit better he said oh well I don't want to say an exact finish time because then as you said there you have to hold yourself to it and things might change and then he's obviously had the injury set back at the start of the year so we could find ourselves this summer saying goodbye to both Andy Murray and Rafa Nadal, which would yeah, be... could be. That'd be huge, wouldn't it? I, do, I don't yeah. see Nadal going past the Olympics. For me, Nadal, I would say, I say end of the Olympics, finished. Yeah, I, I mean, he's obviously playing a lot less than, than Andy is, isn't he? So they're sort of in... Yeah, Andy's like a, a tall player. He's just yeah. not playing to the level he wants to play. Um, Nadal is just Nadal and is like, I'll pop up where I can. <laughs> and that's, that's about all I can sort of muster right now. Um, but yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Andy, Rafa and Novak, all the same age group. Um, all the same age. One looking a lot younger than the others, I must say. <laughs> In terms of how the body's holding up, but age is catching up with him slowly for for Novak, and the youngsters are, are starting to 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 come. But I mean, look, it's just sensational, really, how Nadal and Andy have extended their careers as much as they have, just like Federer did. You know, I mean, God, it felt—I think it was like a decade, wasn't it—of saying when is when is the era going to end of of Federer? Because once they hit thirties, before their era, thirty early 30 maybe 32 was the end of your career really um I know there are exceptions of course but um in general the life of a a tour player you sort of would finish 30 30 well maybe 32 um so you know Federer changed it Serena did as well they're both the same age they were sort of um you know pushing it in terms of at that high level I know we've had Karlovich and you know various others but in terms of at that top level uh and it seems like Novak's probably going to do something similar uh, but for for Andy and uh, Rafa, it's been been uh, you know a bit more injury prone than the other the other guys, so a bit more bit more toll. And Karlovich recently finally said goodbye, so he'd gone a little yes, bit quiet. Yes, he did. It was a, an official goodbye. Djokovic, first time back in Indian Wells since 2019. That's a long. Isn't time. that funny? That's a long time, isn't it? And I know that's a mixture of there was a bit of scheduling in there. For a couple of years, he was like, no, I, I want to peak for Grand Slam, so so didn't go. And then there was COVID, and then there was everything about the entry rules post-COVID. But that's a long time, isn't it, to be away? So- yeah, and the thing is, is Indian Wells and Miami, you're talking about the, the scheduling choices. Indian Wells and Miami are sort of like Grand Slams in the fact yeah. that they're almost as long. You have days off in between. Everything's dragged out. If you're going to win them, as Novak would probably fancy um you know it's it's two weeks and two weeks it's it's almost like two back-to-back slams he's probably just won the australian open um because that's what well i know he hasn't this year but in we're talking about previous years you know he wants to try and win roland garros the next one it's just it's busy right you just you can't do it all really no one no one can you do have to make these choices and that is a key reason as to why he's still so fit and healthy at this stage of of his career but um uh, yeah, I think, look, it's great to have him back in Indian Wells, but it is amazing how time goes, isn't it? 
five years. Yes, it's a long time. I cannot wait for a new world because it feel it is the first time, isn't it? You have the Australian Open, and then everyone disperses, and there's those that go clay, those that go hard court. You have the the couple of thousands for the women now that well, this is the first year because they've they've upped their thousands from seven to ten, and I feel like we've got everyone back together. It's like the gangs back together at Indian Wells, and and everyone loves it. You've got the best of the best who who are fit and who who can be there. It's just, I I, I look, I you know me, I've got a soft spot for the tournament anyway. But I I really like it, and I like I feel like we're really going to get stuck into the meat of the season and what's like Rebecca, for instance. She's got an awful lot of points to defend coming up. I mean, she won Indian Wells. She got to final in Miami. There's there's so many storylines to follow at this stage from watching what happened over the Middle Eastern swing and, and coming into here and on the men's side. Holger Una, for instance, where are we with Holger Una? He, the, the super coaches went their separate ways and now he's back with Patrick Moritoglu again. Yeah, I mean, how many... This is just going round and round. It's giving me whiplash, this one, isn't it? Him and, him and Patrick. Is this the, is this the third spin? Yeah. Third spin, yeah. right. Yeah. So, and neither <laughs> one lasted that long. Right. OK, I know Andy had three spins with Ivan, but they lasted quite a while and were wildly successful with Ivan Lendl. I think it was three. Was it three yeah. or was it two? I yeah. think it was three. Anyway, whatever. My point is, <laughs> Moritoglu, he's sort of been out as quickly as he's been in with Runa <laughs> both times. I don't think he lasted particularly long. Um, and it actually featured in uh, the series two of Breakpoint last year. And how um, I think Holger was saying that he didn't feel like Patrick was was working in the same direction, and and uh, it seemed like he wasn't particularly happy with him. But then, in then later in the same episode, he was back working with Patrick. So, <laughs> maybe you don't realise what you've lost until it's gone. I mean, I, I mean, look, his his mother, Holger Runa's not Patrick Martoglu. Holger Runa's mother is the mainstay. She, he was even, he did a little um, Q&A on, um, on social media. I still call it Twitter because I'm old. So he did a little social media, like, ask me some questions, everyone. And everyone's like, why have you gone back with Patrick? And, and due to everything that's happening with Simona Halep, and we talk about who controls, whether it's substances, you know, supplements or booking courts or whatever it is. And, and so Holger Runa was asked that question. He said, my mother has always been in control of that area. So my mum is the one who controls you know, my supplements, what I have, what I do. And I don't know, maybe maybe it's other things that Moritoglu brings to him that, that he needs. I mean, I, I don't know, as a player, it's you want sometimes different things, whether it's technical things, whether it's someone who's going to look after. I, I don't know what it is, but he obviously feels that Moritoglu gives him what he feels. he Look, the super coaches didn't last long, did they? Yeah, I think, I don't know. It, it, it's one of two things. It's either, as you're saying, he's he's experienced with Patrick. He knows what he's all about. And he's saying, Do you know what? Right now, this is what I need. Or it is that there's no one else. And I, I know that that sounds really harsh. Um, a but there's a very <laughs> limited amount of coaches available. And when I say available, people who want to do the job, it is an extremely difficult job whatever your situation is at home you are then on tour the entire time sure you can become a consultant and lots of players have sort of a traveling coach and a consultant coach so you've got somebody to sort of do the day-to-day and a consultant but look even this Cahill is a super coach right he is um he's employed by Sinner like you've got to be there 
to have the level of impact that Cahill has had on Sinner, who is now a Grand Slam champion, Cahill has been there almost all of the time, right? Yeah, of course, he has Vagnozzi as well. But, you know, Cahill wouldn't have been able to have had that impact just being a consultant coach and chipping in here and there and in training weeks, um, you know, Yannick could go and see him, right? So, like, it's just, it's a, it's a massive, it's a, it's a lifestyle, essentially. You have to leave your life and go and, and do the job. Like, it's really, really difficult. Um, and there are a small amount of people who are prepared to do it. And there's a very, very tiny amount of those who are actually very, very good. Uh, and then you have the fact that coaches bring different things. You have some that are really, really good with, you know, developing skills or doing tactics. Others are much more about just the work rate and just being on tour and being positive, making you feel a million dollars about yourself, which is so important. Um, And, you know, no one does it all, um, which is why I do think it's good for people to have, you know, different flavors. And, you know, look, he's got, it's funny because he's got the consistency of his mum, who's very, very involved and has done a fantastic job. So he has that consistency. He has the grounding. He has the belief in the box. He's got all of that already. Um, And what he needs is that expertise, which is why I think he is looking at super coaches because we have Boris and uh, Severin and now we're back to Patrick. I think that's what he's searching for because he's got the, you know, he's got the base and the grounding. I think it's if you just go for expertise, but you don't have that sort of, rock solid my team are with me that proper connection I don't think you get the best out of it if you can have a bit of both so I think he's got a lot of it sorted so I know people have been critical for him of him for some of these decisions and it seems like he's hopping around all over the place but I don't know he's he's trying right him and his mum have got you know 90% of this down look at the career that he's had but it's about searching now for that extra 10% that's going to take him from where he is now to potentially a Grand Slam champion, right? That's what he wants. And he's, he's trying to search for it. It's, it's sort of trial and error, but it's difficult. You know, there's, there's, it's not, not masses. I, not, I was going to say not masses of people available to do it, but I mean, third time, I don't see why this time is going to be any different to others. Well, they say, and it's not, they say you shouldn't go backwards. And I'm talking a relationship, whether it's personal business, that's not the, it doesn't mean that's always the way, but they say, you know, you, you split up, you separated for a reason that there was sometimes it, it is just timing or maybe it's personal circumstances, but normally there's something else involved or someone wants it more than the other person. See, you wonder if it, it didn't work out the first two, but the movement of coach, you know, me and the, the movement around and I just, oh, like, like Thomas Johansson, we spoke to Serana Castea in Doha and I think it was Laura said, oh, you've, what's happening? The coach has been changed. Oh, yes. Um, Tom Hansen's not with me, said he couldn't be with me, said there was some personal stuff. And now, you know, there's an announcement he's working with Kay Nishikori. So he's, he's popped up on Nishikori's team. So there's that kind of movement for, for whatever reason. There's, I think maybe one of the best additions might be Gilles Simon to Team Medvedev. Yes. <laughs> I think that's great. Genius. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. And I maybe one of the, the the saddest but inevitable splits was Maria Sakkari and, and Tom Hill. Yeah. And I remember we we'd, we spoke to Maria Sakkari in Doha about this is before her first match. And and I had to mention things hadn't been that great. And, and she did say people will see that what we've been working on will come into effect. It's going to take time. But the changes we've made will work out. And then we saw her actually the morning of her match with her coach and we were laughing and chatting away about something very relaxed. 
She was in a winning position, should have won, she lost. And then the announcement that they've agreed to part ways. And it's one of the, it's one of those, you didn't want it to happen, but you felt like it, it had to happen. That'd be yeah, right. and, and not because, I don't know, not, not for any sort of um, justifiable reason, I suppose. It's not like, uh, you know, when Holger says, oh, we're not working in the same direction. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not that Tom's not doing a good job. It's not that Maria's not pulling her weight either. It, it, sometimes these things just run, it's just run its course, right? You know, sometimes as a coach, you find yourself saying the same things over and over again, and you've sort of exhausted everything that you can um and other times your coaching is absolutely fine but you, the player just needs something fresher just needs something different something to sort of um yeah. to to focus on a different way of hearing it and uh and that's it i mean look they've had a fantastic time together um i think she's done a you know just done brilliantly well um but you know she's she's not an easy person to coach she is incredibly emotional on the court she is up she is down she is all over the place she lacks a lot in self belief um a huge amount i mean considering everything she's achieved it's amazing how especially when you watch breakpoint and you see her interviews and i'm just thinking literally the, the caption comes up next to her saying world ranked number six or something and she and what she's saying is like she's ranked 150 and can't win a match it's it's so it's so jarring but that is hard for a coach to deal with like really hard because ultimately your focus becomes trying to get the best out of your player just purely on their own belief but there's only so much you can do for somebody else it's just like anything in life like you say any relationship any anything it's like you can't make someone believe in themselves you can help you can try but like it's not really down to you it ultimately has to come down to them what you can do is help the bits that you can really impact are the skills and the technique and the tactics and all of those sorts of things but if you've got a player who doesn't believe in themselves or is getting too emotional on the court or is getting tight all of these things that Zachary's been doing you can't do any of the other stuff the actual coaching I suppose the actual tennis part of tennis coaching you can't do it because there's no point it doesn't doesn't matter what you do introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe more than just a tennis shoe it's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court the multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com now, I feel our, our listeners are probably saying, why haven't you asked Naomi about how our brother's getting on with Emma Raducanu? And obviously, you know a lot more than you're going to tell us, but I feel I've got to ask. I mean, is that how, how, what, how, what, how is it? How, what, can you, what can you tell us? Well, I, I don't know what I can, oh, I can tell you. Do you have any specific questions? I think it's going very well. Well, that's more like, yeah, because I don't, I feel like I don't want to ask you questions that you feel you have to answer or you don't want to answer because you don't want to give anything away because obviously you, you see what I mean so I'm just kind of giving you an, a kind of an open how are things going with them at okay. the moment? and then you can tell us what you feel you're able to tell us well I personally think um based on what I've heard from from Nick I've not sp- I've not spoken to Emma so I haven't heard her side of things but um seems like everything's going really w- very well you know there's an awful lot to do right they're, they're trying to build something from is that because they're trying to do new things or change things that weren't working or well just trying to develop the game really um you know things 
it doesn't take a genius to watch Emma playing now and realise she's not playing how she did play in 2021, for example. Across yep. that summer of 2021, there's not as much penetration, there's not as much pace, you know, the you know the first serve's not doing as you know, you add up all those little things, it's a massive, massive difference in the game. So really, it's it's not necessarily about getting back to where she was in 2021, because you never really want to go backwards, but it's just about trying to improve all of the shots initially. Um, and then, uh, and sort of, I suppose, build, building from there. But um, yeah, it seems, uh, as I say, everything I've heard, it's been been going really well. I really think that um, I said this when they first started that this is going to be a really good relationship. I, I personally think because he's exactly what she needs right now, and right. and the more I hear, the more I feel like that is that is really very very true. Um, because as I say, in terms of looking at each individual shot, trying to make sure that the mechanics is working, that the technique is there for you, that you're able to deliver what you should be capable of delivering. Um, that is right. That's really Nick's massive skill set. That's right in his wheelhouse. And I think that's really what she needs. I think, you know, we've seen glimpses of some really great work, um, some great matches. I mean, her match against Buskova, I thought was absolutely fantastic. To be honest, I think it's one of the best matches I've ever seen her play, including 2021. I thought it was really, really fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, so a lot of exciting things, really. I think, it, but yeah, there's, there's, it's an awful lot, and it's so hard when you are fresh in to to that. Um, you know, it might be different for Patrick going back to Holger. He's got a bit of an idea, but, uh, but you know, for, for Nick, you know, you're fresh and you're trying to get your bearings, figuring out how everything works. You're, it was straight into a grand slam. That was the first bit of work that they did together. I mean, that was just, you know, you can't coach much. You can do the tactics for the matches, but she's in this bit of a weird phase, right? Because she's coming back from injury and she needs to try and develop her game, but straight into competing and all of these big, big tournaments it's it's difficult so it's a little bit jarring so it's just trying to I suppose find that balance really as to uh, how she can keep developing um, but also try to get some matches and and compete um, but you've got to get the right sort of matches because there are certain matches that uh, are not particularly helpful and actually do a lot of damage if you're not delivering what you need to. Well this leads me on to my question and I guess it's in relation to Emma Raducanu but just general question when when do you drop down when because she obviously took the world card, entered the Masters. So yes, and I know like Naomi Osaka won a couple of rounds and got a buy and, and she leaps up the rank. She went from 700 odd to 200 odd. So it's a quick way of getting your, your ranking up and you're playing a very good level of player. But there's also the chance that you could lose first round and then you're not getting the matches. So so when is it the right time or does it depend on, on the person where you drop down to just possibly get a good run of matches? Like where... I, I I don't know. I find it really interesting to know when you do that or why you would do that. Because to me, I'd feel I'd go a bit lower to get a run of matches to get the confidence. But then I can also see you win a couple of rounds at a Masters and boom, you've shot back up the rankings. I think it. I think it's a very valid question, and I think we've seen people really make this mistake. It's so so crucial the schedule. It completely depends on what your goal is. Like, what is your What's your target? If if uh, look, I don't I don't know what what the goals are for Emma, but but say she says right, I want to win a Grand Slam within five years. Well, that gives yeah. you a real long term where you can go right. We're here. That's where we want to get to, and how are we going to work backwards from that? So and and then you can make the decisions as to whether it would probably be much easier. I think to drop down, um, it would make much more sense. You want to try and build. You've got plenty of time. There's no rush. If it's a I want to win matches in Indian Wells next week. 
then okay you have to view everything incredibly differently or if it's a you know there's a big difference as well in goals between achievement goals and ranking goals so tournament goals for example so like winning a grand slam do you want to win a grand slam or do you want to be top 50 top 40 top 30 as in because you have you could pick out a player like an Elise Cornet who has been an incredibly solid player she's actually flown up higher in the rankings but you know um you know constantly ranked 20 30 you know that's that's a real tour player or you've got someone like Emma who's won a grand slam so you know and there's everything in between as well so there's all sorts of goals you could say you could say I want to win a tournament this year I want to be ranked 50 this year I want to win a slam in five years time I want to be in the top 10 in two years like you whatever it is that the player wants it is your job as the coach to not impose what you want you might think I think you're better off you know working towards being top 30 that's not really your job you work for and with the player to achieve their goals and somebody like Nick Kyrgios never had a goal of being in the top 10 that's never you know so any anything that you would normally do to be in the top 10 like dropping down to get your confidence like getting matches under your belt week in week out like get on tour you know tough it out that's what you need to get the volume to be able to put you know he never cared about that he was like no I, I, I don't want that I want to be able to turn up at an event and be dangerous um which is a very different thing. So you, it just depends on that, really. So Does it have to come from the player, therefore? So in terms of if you were dropping down, I'm only talking dropping down a little bit. Does it? So as a coach, you wouldn't say, right, I think you need to... Does it have to come from the player, therefore the player mentally is ready to drop down? Because you don't want them to put them in a situation where they're like, either I'm too good to be here or I don't want to be here. So does that have to be instigated largely by the player? Well, it's it's always better when the player wants to do it, right? Because you've got their buy-in. But again, if you've got the plan, then you can you can take that control as a coach. <clears throat> Obviously, not completely take control of the um, of the of the schedule, but you can at least put a pitch in and say, "Look, you told me this is what you want to achieve. The best way to do that, so we don't need to worry about Indian Wells and Miami. We just don't we don't need to worry about that because that how does that fit in to the goal that you've set? It doesn't. Yeah. Um, you say this is how we're going to do it, and this is what we need, and you work backwards, and then it's just really logical. And then normally players will be like, "Okay, fine, I, I get it. You know, for now, this is what what we should be doing." But um, it's different for everyone. Um, you know, uh, and as I say, just depends on on what the player wants. But it's so hard when there's a tournament on, and you think, but if I just got a good draw in Indian Wells, you know. But then again, that's where it's the coach's job to say, okay, but a good draw, and you might reach the last sixteen, or maybe the quarters or something. But how does that then impact your your ultimate goal? Because often it actually doesn't really. It's just sort of so tempting because it's right in front of you, and it's Indian Wells, and I could just go and let's just see what happens. Um, but if you're always like that, you, then, you, then you become reactive and you're just like, here's a tournament, play it. Oh, no, I've lost. Oh, God, everything's terrible. I'm playing really badly. So, like, well, did you prepare for that? Is that part of the plan? Like, what, you know what I mean? You've got to get a real grip of that. The difference around, as I say, Osaka, a couple of rounds and a, and a walkover and she's up in the 200s from starting at 700. So that's, you know, that's the upside of entering an Indian Wells or, you know, a 1000 level tournament or a Grand Slam and, and really going deep is it can completely change things. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's fascinating schedule and, and maybe yeah, a little bit of 
does come down to the character. But it, would, it wouldn't, though. Honestly, even if she made... It w- wouldn't really change much for her. I mean, it would boost her ranking up. But, I mean, Emma's a former Grand Slam champion. She gets unlimited wild cards. So any tournament that will give her a wild card, and I think most tournaments would like to give her a wild card. Um, as a player, play. don't you want to be in on your own ranking? Or does that not matter? Do you always... You don't always want to be taking well. Like Andy no, Murray you want was to be in the tournament and you want to be able to win the tournament. <laughs> but like Andy Murray was saying, he's I'm in these tournaments on my ranking. I, I'm you know, he's not having to take wild cards. So as a player, do you do you worry about the perception from the outside or not? No, I think for but again, it's a totally different player. Like Andy is in an entirely different situation. He's not saying I want to win a slam in the next couple of years. He is saying I want to be a solid tour player that yeah. is competitive and I could go on a good run here and there. That's what I want to be doing. Um and then I think you should be proud of being able getting in on your own ranking. He's ranked he was ranked 40 something, maybe about 50 now. And he is on his own ra- ranking, but that's what he wants to be achieving. He's doing what he said he wanted to do. Yeah. It, it just maybe turns out it's not as much fun as it was <laughs> when he was winning grand slams. Um but you know, but you know, so it's just very different. Um, as I say, I mean, but maybe that is Emma's goal. If that is Emma's goal, then yeah. then everything is a different conversation. I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to to say on that. Um, but yeah, there's there's many different ways you can go about it. I think it's fascinating. Um, again, I couldn't be a coach. Look, I tried being a coach for two days in Australia, and it was terrifying. Um, so I really admire and respect the job that coaches do. It's it's a definitely will stop for us in a couple of minutes because you've got a hallway to paint, um, and I've got a go and do things this end i'm just trying to think what oh i did a 10k in doha with laura we completed it yes i know you did it looked hot yeah well wind it was the corniche that's flat wind on the way out so it's quite nice but there were bodies everywhere on the way back because everyone had shot Mm. off i i'm like hair and the tortoise i'm the tortoise just keep going bodies everywhere on the way back because it was just pure heat and everyone had gone boom and on the way back they were like I misjudged where the finish line was so I was convinced I knew where the finish line was maybe I was delirious um and so I really gave it my all and when I got there and realized it wasn't the finish line you know when you just think (laughs) I was like I was like my legs were almost stopping and lots of people how far away from the finish line were you I was still about a kilometer Oh no! Yeah, oh, yeah, no. I was. I'd really misjudged. Oh, that it. is devastating. As I got closer, I was like, "I'm nowhere near this finish line," but I'm not going to stop. And I was really proud. I did it just over an hour, which is amazing for me. That is phenomenal. And I didn't listen to podcasts. I actually listened to music to go a bit faster. But at the end, Laura said, "Well, how about a half marathon?" And she is genuinely thinking about doing a half marathon this year. And yeah, I just don't think I have that in me. Oh, you at can. My, at my age, at my... I, yeah, I might you can. Fin- it might finish Just be a tortoise. Off. You'll get there. It, it, might, <laughs> it might finish. There was there was a 1K in Doha and I tried to enter it, but it said I was too old. <laughs> oh. Because <laughs> it was so like... the kiddies event. Yeah, it was like 12. I gave it a go. I pressed the button. They were like, uh, no. And I was like, fine. Um, so, no, I don't think... I'm really proud of the 10K, but... And I ran in the rain today... That's what I've got to do on again, dry off. But um, a half marathon, I think I think those days are gone. I think those days are gone. Mm. Yeah. It's those long. days, it's long. Those, um, no, we're, we're past that. We're past that. <laughs> but we are going to be working together next week, which I'm really excited about. Yes. We are going to, I'm going to make sure we see each other in the same blooming building. We are going to see each other. And um, so do you want to do quick predictions now or leave them for the next pod? 
Ooh. Next one. I haven't thought about it. Next one. Okay. I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. You get back to painting. I'm going to go and dry off. And we will reconvene, hopefully, when we're together for Indian Wells. Indian Wells. Bye.